Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Chris Michael here. I want to introduce you to a new Guardian podcast series called Reverberate. We're telling incredible stories from around the world about when music shook history. If you like this episode, just search for Reverberate wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to hear the full six episodes as they come out every Wednesday. Still to come are the stories of the vast call-and-response song that helped bring down an Egyptian dictator, a symphony that rallied thousands of people in Leningrad suffering under siege from Hitler's troops, and the time the communist rulers in Czechoslovakia put a bunch of scruffy, psychedelic rockers on trial, only for it to backfire spectacularly. Can't wait for you to listen. On New Year's Eve, 1989, David Hasselhoff ended the Cold War. The star of Knight Rider and Baywatch stood on the ruins of the Berlin Wall and channeled the emotion of a reunited Germany with his powerful, not-at-all-cheesy song, Looking for Freedom. The glow of thousands of raised lighters that night was a testament to Hasselhoff's near-single-handed triumph over the evil empire. At least... That's how the Hoff tells it. He said thousands of Germans have thanked him for the fall of the wall. The whole thing is faintly ridiculous. But what about the times when a song really did make a difference? When music sparked a moment, when it was the story, the key that unlocked a turning point in history. These are the stories I'll be telling over the course of our new series, Reverberate. Amazing, sometimes hilarious, often troubling, but always surprising moments when a piece of music set off a chain reaction that we can still feel to this day. Together we'll be traveling from Panama to Prague and Cairo to Hong Kong, and we'll hear from the people who were there, the witnesses who will tell us firsthand what it was like to see the true power of music. This year is a huge moment of change, too. Around the world, our health, our politics, our environment, all hang by a thread. But as I hope these stories will remind us, sometimes music can be more powerful than we think, continuing to reverberate long after the last note ends. We start our series in Hong Kong where pro-democracy protests continue to make headlines around the world. But this story begins, as great events so often do, in a rather unassuming spot. In 2013, Kashi Keegan, 
a British singer-songwriter, was 30 years old. When I was younger, I was an outsider. I wasn't your kind of typical boy's boy. And to avoid kind of becoming invisible, I think music and writing became my thing. I just wanted to be heard more than anything. Kashi grew up in Worthing, a town on the south coast of England where the bulk of the population is retired. It has a beautiful Art Deco pier. For younger people, though, there isn't much going on. It has the highest visitor rate for a crematorium for a town in the whole of Europe. So that gives you an idea. He grew up loving George Michael and Elton John. He'd been playing the piano since he was seven, and he started writing songs from the age of 10. As a teenager, he didn't socialize much. He took any job he could find, from cleaning nursing homes to washing dishes, to pay for time in a nearby recording studio. All my free time was spent at home, at my parents' house, in the living room, writing songs. I didn't come out for hours. Takashi, Hong Kong was just not on the radar, the kind of place he saw on the news occasionally. In 2013, it had been 16 years since Hong Kong was handed from British control back to China. And one of the media outlets in Hong Kong that played on this cultural tension was a new upstart TV station. TV in Hong Kong at the time was widely considered mind-meltingly dull. The news and dramas were stuffy and stale, with terrible production values. And there were, laughably, just two free stations, both seen as stooges or even puppets of the mainland Chinese government. Most people watched shows made in Japan, Korea, the U.S., anywhere but the city they called home. But HKTV was different. I think what HKTV tried to do was to tell Hong Kong stories and to reinstate this Hong Kong cultural identity that has been forgotten. This is Vivian Chow. She's a journalist from Hong Kong who specializes in arts and culture. She was closely following the rise of this new channel. It had a young team that studied American hits like House of Cards and Glee to make glossy shows with high production values, thought-provoking ideas, and plots that couldn't be figured out by your average seven-year-old, like the others. There was a show about the election of the chief executive of Hong Kong, and that that has never been done before because uh, most of the time dramas, they were very clean, they stay away from politics. And there was also another one, the literal translation of the title of the show was Do Not Become a Chinese Person in Your Next Life. So some of them could be quite um, controversial. They make shows that touch upon journalism, politics, and also the mainland China-Hong Kong tension. Not surprisingly, it found a ravenous online audience, particularly with young people. Back in Worthing, meanwhile, Kashi had finished school. He'd spent 10 years trying to get his pop songs heard, more or less in vain, so he posted some of them to a music licensing site, took an unrelated office job, and resigned himself to musical obscurity. Around 2012, I remember one lunchtime, there was this email from Universal Music Publishing in Asia, and it said that 
there was a new TV network in Hong Kong and they wanted to use one of my songs. It was HKTV. They needed an uplifting song for a new documentary series they were planning about people pushing themselves to the limit. Chasing tornadoes, testing their endurance in the desert, that sort of thing. They wanted a song about a dream and like a million songs came up. But then ultimately they picked my song. The song is called This Is My Dream and it's kind of a defiant song about fighting to keep your dream alive against all the odds. It was written really out of sheer frustration. I was so fed up. I mean, the chorus, it, it just says, this is my heart, this is my soul. This is the only love I've known. Uh, hang on. My, oh yes, my will to try grows weaker with time, but I won't give in, because this is my dream. The song was an expression of not wanting to give up. So it was perfect for HKTV. I I put it online, you know, in 2007. And then I just kind of forgot about it until the day I got that email completely out of the blue. It was used in all their adverts where they were smashing up the old style of of, of TV in Hong Kong. And then the founder of Hong Kong TV, when he was talking about his own journey with the the TV network, he actually recited some of the lyrics from my song. He said, ultimately, This is my life. This is my dream. So the song was taking on a life of its own. It sort of became a theme song for the whole network. According to Vivian Chow, this was unprecedented. No TV station in Hong Kong has ever chosen an English language song to be the theme song. I think it sends a message to people that this is a different TV station, a TV station that is different from existing players who have been around for decades. I I can remember just like almost (laughs) squealing with excitement, but then I, I didn't know what was to come. HKTV was a hit channel, but it was still just online. What it really needed was an official TV license so that it could be broadcast free to air across Hong Kong. The government itself had invited HKTV to apply. Everyone assumed it was a done deal. Among them was Edith Chong, who worked for HKTV as a scriptwriter. Like most of the team, she was a recent graduate who was excited to be part of this dynamic new network. It is very exciting at the beginning because everyone is new. They are all young writers, so it is quite exciting experience for us. For the audience, they want to see something real. Everyone thought getting the license was just a formality. It was a, a late afternoon and I was in the office. I was having the meeting with my teammates and suddenly it's like some someone checked their phone and they find out we are not going to get the license. And all of us just can't believe it because we all know that the other two applicants, they didn't prepare anything. (laughs) So we are like, are you kidding? Are you joking? And is it a a, a mistake? It wasn't a mistake. In fact, HKTV was the only applicant to be rejected. The decision caused a public outcry. Nearly 400,000 people signed a Facebook petition demanding that the government explain. After that, I am quite angry and I start 
wondering why. I wrote a Facebook message and um, to express my feelings and. I start to know that many citizens, not only me, they also feel sad and angry. Back in the south of England, Kashi was finishing another day at the office. And I remember all of a sudden I started getting loads of alerts from YouTube saying that people were uploading my song and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. These videos were of tens of thousands of people at night at what appeared to be this massive protest. And they were playing my song on a loudspeaker. I mean, it was every amateur musician's dream. Out of nowhere, a song you wrote years earlier being sung by huge crowds of people halfway around the world. And I was like, oh my God, you know, what is going on? You know, I didn't have a clue. And then I went on Google and I typed in Hong Kong protest and I saw this article and it explained what had happened. What happened was a crowd of protesters, all wearing black t-shirts, took over the streets of the city. Protests in Hong Kong are intense. You get torrents of people flowing down the streets as though the buildings are riverbanks. The journalist Vivian Chow was there. It was a very interesting and surreal experience because like, how far would you go to fight for a TV station? Fighting for your right to television. That sounds actually quite absurd, but it was exactly what was happening. I think the whole saga made people feel there was a threat to their cultural expression, creativity, and also the core values of Hong Kong, particularly freedom and the rule of law. And somehow, my song <laughs> had got caught up in this and became the, the anthem of the protest. The protesters headed for the heart of Hong Kong, the government headquarters in the Admiralty District. After we arrived at the HQ, uh, someone, <laughs> they start to give us some tents. <laughs> and we start to uh, set the tents outside the HQ. And people are saying, uh, we have to stay here. We shouldn't go. It was definitely not your usual kind of protest. It was like an open stage and a lot of people took turns to talk about their feelings and questions of the government. Actually, the, the headquarters, the square, actually became my, my second office. We start to hold some talks and workshop every night. We are running a, small, a smaller version of HK TV. In a way, I think people were quite innocent. I think they went with a very innocent idea. What is wrong with having more TV stations? You know, I just want to have a choice. People are feeling very um, angry about this event that the government is not really um, giving us many choices on free TV. Kashi was gripped. He watched all the protests on YouTube, amazed that his song was being played from the stage as a kind of rallying cry. Then he opened his email to see a message from the head of HKTV's workers' union. And he invited me to come perform at the protest. 
and I was on a plane that very same day, which was my very first trip ever to Hong Kong. They met me at the airport. They kind of gave me a bouquet of flowers. They took my picture. Within minutes, that had made like uh, the front page of the Apple Daily, which is a big, big newspaper here. And then they drove me to the center of Hong Kong, and I was, you know, in awe of the place. To be honest, like nothing I'd seen before, because I grew up in Worthing, a retirement town, and then I came to Hong Kong, which is the complete antithesis. I mean. You've got skyscrapers, you know the mountains. Everything moves here at like a hundred miles an hour. My head was spinning. I, I had a lot of adrenaline, but I still didn't quite know what I was really doing. <laughs> Kashi would be the first to admit that he was mainly just bedazzled that his music had finally taken off. He didn't really understand the political context he'd landed in. Yet here he was in a time zone seven hours ahead, on a red carpet with flashing bulbs and reporters thrusting microphones in his face. And then the reporters started asking me, like his first question was... Keshi. Keshi. a lot of people, Hong Kong people, appreciate you coming to here. Are you afraid of the repercussion that the Chinese government may give you because now you're supporting Hong Kong television and they may not like you? <laughs> what do you feel? Um, and I was like, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but it's a good point that you raised. Oh my God. Wow. These are really kind of heavy questions, you know? And I was just coming to perform my little song about a dream. I went on stage. I can see various placards. There was one that said, this is our dream. Don't kill the media. You know, lots of people there. (laughs) I didn't realise that it was outside the government headquarters. I was kind of swept up in this political battle that wasn't my own. The square, it was jam-packed. I think there were tens of thousands of people... They covered the whole area, even beyond what I could see. Kashi began to sing. He was so nervous, though, that he missed his first line. I just kept going. And it it was evident to me that they were really, really behind it. Now someone far away from us he come to show his support it's quite important to us especially he is the singer of the song we we love you know we are like a big group of choir and we sing a song together it was like really amazing we just don't believe uh, it, it will actually happen until I really see him on the stage Everybody had put their mobile phones in the air, you know, with all their lights on. It looked like a scene from an international pop star's concert. This was a climactic moment. The anthem of the TV station and all it represented being performed live on stage by the man who wrote it. It was a very passionate night. 
and the song was really simple, but it has a very strong message: fighting for what you believe in. It was a really beautiful moment. One song united everyone. I was really moved by it. I was really moved by it. You know, really touched that the song had resonated in the way that it did, which I was completely not expecting. Not on the other side of the world, to where I lived. He finally had a hit. What he didn't expect, and didn't entirely realize at the time, was that it was a political hit, galvanizing a new generation determined to protect their democratic freedoms. I felt on a high after all those years of I wanted to be heard. At last, people actually seemed to appreciate my song. It's just, it's just unreal. It was just unreal. But it didn't change anything for HKTV. The protests eventually petered out. The station never did get its license. More than 200 staff were laid off, and in 2018, it ceased all TV operations. I was curious, so I googled HKTV, and ended up at something called HKTV Mall, which tried to sell me a Citibank credit card and a package of Neutrogena baby wipes. As of now, we still don't know, you know, on record why the government decided not to give the license to HKTV. I think at the time, I think there were speculations of oh, because the government wanted to protect media companies that can be on the government's side. Whatever the reason, it was definitely the beginning of an authoritarian shift. What happened with the HKTV protests? It was like a prelude to what happened afterwards. Gradually, there was this awakening among the people of Hong Kong. They feel. Really scared, and they feel, you know, threatened by this potential like merging with mainland China. And if you look at now, that is still going on. In 2019, Vivian went to another protest at government headquarters, at the same location where Kashi once sang to HKTV supporters. It looks almost unrecognizable. The whole place was barricaded, huge, tall barricades that were filled with water, and I could not see beyond these barricades. And then, when I looked back at the HKTV protests back in 2013, I thought, "Didn't you build this place to engage the public, to open your doors to the people and listen to people's voices? And now, why are you shutting people out? Hong Kong has seen a series of uprisings in the years since, fighting back against the encroaching hand of the one-party Chinese state. There was the Umbrella Movement, the introduction of the Chinese national curriculum into Hong Kong schools, the extradition bill, and most recently. The hugely controversial national security law. All of these have seen tens of thousands of protesters take to the streets, determined to hold on to what they feel makes Hong Kong special. The HKTV protests ended in apparent failure, but they unlocked something, 
for Kashi too. I live in Hong Kong. I moved here in 2014, and it's become my home now. He's being modest. Kashi began recording songs in Cantonese. He signed a record deal, and he released an album that went to number one. He still loves the excitement of Hong Kong that he felt when he first stepped off the plane, but he's also come to understand his new home better. And in the years that I've been living here, even I've noticed how it's changed so much. More censorship, the free press perhaps isn't quite as free. People are having to kind of self-censor a lot more. Hong Kong's freedoms and its autonomy is under threat. It's become more authoritarian here, and it is changing, I think, much quicker than people anticipated. Like, even with the, the government headquarters, I was able to perform on a stage right in the front, in their courtyard. That wouldn't happen today, never. When we recorded this, the national security law had just recently been passed. Chinese security forces were, for the first time, operating openly in Hong Kong. Many of the protest leaders had fled to Britain, Taiwan, and elsewhere. And the freedom of the city looked more precarious than ever. Reverberate is created and presented by me, Chris Michael. The producers of this episode were Ian Chambers and Rose Delirebeedy. The executive producer is Peter Sale. And the lead producer for Guardian Podcasts is Max Sanderson. Original music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. And music rights clearance was by Tony Orkadesh of Torchlight Music. The development's executive producers were Shanita Scotland and Catherine Godfrey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>